Welcome to Episode 3 of Elder Things, a podcast about the Call of Cthulhu living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. My name is Lee Murdoch. And I'm David Boring. And today we will be discussing Worlds, the Cthulhu Faction Spotlight, and more. So David, what sort of news do we have this time? Hey, well, one thing people are sure to be interested in is uh, Tom Kapoor's number one deck that won the World Championships recently. The deck is titled Dinner, and it's a combination of Shub and Yogg. Uh, a few neutrals thrown in there, too. And then later on, we'll discuss that at great depth. And now, um, so let's see. We have some data from Worlds. We have a, we got a spreadsheet uh, provided... Uh, who provided that for us? Was that... Um... Uh, yeah, I think it was, it was one of the guys from Two Champs and a Chump. Right, I think it was Will Lance from uh, Two Champs. Anyways, great job, because it has all of the stats, not just Call of Cthulhu, but but uh, Thrones, Netrunner, even X-Wing. Yeah, so we've got some stats here from the tournament. There were 13 decks entered, uh, a lot of shoves showing up there, you know, 42% of the decks had some shove in them. Right, and there was 12% Miskatonic. Mm-hmm. They were tied in presence with uh, most of the other factions. Right. But Agency and Syndicate were no-shows. Yeah, there was nobody playing that. So uh, the, the amount of, of shove, you know, we thought there would be a good amount, but that's that's actually higher than, you know, I was really expecting. Well, there's some really good um, uh, acceleration cards in shove. Yeah, that and also support destruction is kind of popular right now. So, you know, we figured some people would be running for that. But what was really interesting, though, is that three of the top four decks had Miskatonic in them. So, and that's that's without the new Miskatonic box being legal for play yet. So, I'm sure we're going to be seeing more of them in the near future uh, once those cards are tournament legal. So, the top two decks were Tom Kippur's deck and uh, Graham Hill's deck. Tom was playing the, the, uh, the dinner deck that we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. And um, it was the Shub Yog deck, right. and the restricted card was Nihilathotep. And then Graham was playing a mm-hmm. Miskatonic Shub Rush deck with Disease Sewer Rats. Yep. Yeah, Disease Sewer Rats was a pretty popular restricted card. Uh, three out of the decks used that. And that's, you know, that's kind of tied for first with Initiative Quiet HUD. And then everything else was you know, just kind of one or two. There's been some news on the uh, FFG's new organized play schedule. Yeah, this is pretty exciting stuff. So it, it sounds like they're going to be uh, they're going to be doing more you know uh, tournament packs. There's going to be tournament organizers, and there's the items that they pack in these are going to be things that you could use during play. Right, they'll have uh, alternate art promo cards of that are reprints of existing cards, which is good. Yeah, now the important thing to remember about these is that the function of the card is identical. There is absolutely no competitive advantage to having these cards. It just has a different picture on it. Right. Um, the schedule itself um, is, uh, they've posted that, and season one begins on January 14th. They're, they're doing it in three seasons now. Uh, January 14th, season one begins. April 1st. Regional season begin, which is uh, 
its own little season there. And then you'll have uh, May 1st is season two. Regional season actually lasts from from April 1st yeah. to June. Two, two runs concurrently with regionals. Right. And then three season three um, runs from September till the World Championships in November. Mm-hmm. Now, if you'd like to host a regional, you're going to need to get your application in between January 3rd to 31st. If you miss that date, uh, then you're not going to be hosting a regional. Right. And I'm wondering who's who's doing the regional in our area, or if, even if, is there going to be one? Oh, well, I don't know. We're probably going to have to step up and do that. I'll see if we can get a venue. Okay. So, anyway, if anybody out there wants to come and play at the Atlanta Regional, you heard it here first. We'll be hosting something somewhere. Right. Sometime. I think... Uh, that place in Gwinnett County Tower might be doing it though. Oh really? Yeah, I think we'll we'll check with them. We'll check. So. I'll call and ask. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, cool. Um, but I'm really looking forward to those promo cards. That's that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So they're going to be doing this, of course, for all their games, not just Call of Cthulhu. So if you're a fan of some of the other games, then you're going to get cool cards for those too. Uh. There's a slight exception for the Star Wars fans. The Star Wars cards are going to have Arabesh text on them. Oh, so that's which the, is uh, the it's the special Star Wars font. The font for Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, it's it's that's not pretty you cool. Know, you can still read it. It's not like you know weird glyphs or anything. No, it is weird glyphs. Uh, I mean, they don't even look anything like their <laughs> they don't look <laughs> anything like their regular. If, if you've ever seen it, it's. Uh, it's it's definitely like a cipher almost, but oh, it's, really? but it's kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, they used it in, in a lot of the uh, a lot of the video games. I know when I played the Old Republic, they it was everywhere mm-hmm. in Old Republic. Oh, okay. The signs, and if you knew Arabesh, you could look at the sign and see what it actually said. Yeah, if you knew Arabesh, then you know you're a big nerd. Okay. Well, speaking of big nerds and so. Star Wars, the Star Wars LCG will be out soon. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, people who attended the recent events, you know, at FFG headquarters, already have copies, and they've been posting up, you know, some of their early impressions of the game. Right, and uh, the word is it should be out in the beginning of December, so next week or the week after. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the new deck building mechanic, you know, actually works out. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, different theories, and you know. It's, it's going to be cool. It's going to ruin the game, you know, whatever. But uh, we'll know for sure soon. Well, my t- my take on that is I play a lot of LCGs, okay, and I don't have time to build decks for all of them. So Star Wars, they build the deck for me. All I got to do is choose 10 objectives. The rest of the deck is done. Yeah, if nothing else, I think it'll be very popular among, you know, the more casual players. Next thing, if if you are someone who prefers to download our episodes direct instead of subscribing to a feed, we now have a Twitter account that we're going to be using to announce any new episodes that come out, so you don't have to keep you know checking all the time. So the Twitter account is called Elder Things Cast because Elder Things Podcast was too long for their limit. <laughs> anyway, you you can go ahead and follow us on there, and you'll receive a notification. Whatever a new episode is released. Great. I can't wait for that. Yep. Okay. I might actually use Twitter now. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I never used Twitter before this either, but you know. Up, it's time to catch up with everybody purposes. else. Mm-hmm. In this next segment, we're going to talk about the uh, some of the top world's decks. So, I guess we should start with the big one. Let's start with Tom's deck. Right. So th- this is a pretty interesting deck. It's very character heavy for one thing. Um, extremely minimal on supports. There's only one copy of Under the Porch, and kind of the reason for that is uh, the Displaced Chthonian that he's got in the deck. Now you, you may not be too familiar with this guy, but uh, he eats a support card at the beginning of each player's turn. So supports are very very short lived with him around. He's also playing Grasping Chthonians too. Yes, yeah. If you happen to get you know too many support cards and if this place is not eating them fast enough, he can get some help from his buddy. But it, it kind of shuts down a lot of supports for, for both players. So now Under the Porch is something you could use immediately before the uh, Displaced Chthonian gets to destroy it. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about what this deck does. Yeah. There's quite a lot of acceleration in here. The, the goal is to get some of his big characters into play quickly. And the means by which he does this is... Uh, Feed Her Young, Twilight Gate, and Broken Space, Broken Time, primarily. And, of course, Under the Porch that we already mentioned. Broken Space, Broken Time costs four, and he uses Feed Her Young, so how is he going to resource that? Okay. Here, i, I got to pull these cards up in front of me. Oh, here it is. Let's see. <clears throat> let's, let's see, what did he say? I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase him right here. And he he wrote up a really long, um, a long tournament report and deck report for Worlds, and I recommend everybody read this. It's really good reading. But um, basically, he says try to go first and mulligan to a hand that allows you to play Feeder Young or Twilight Gate. So you're gonna want one of those two cards. Um, and uh, so some point before your second turn, you're going to want to have three resources on a single domain. You use Twilight Gate, Feeder Young to accomplish this, and then you can put out a on, on, on turn on turn two. You you can have four resources on a turn on, on, on a on a domain. You can put out any number of large nasty creatures. Also, he's playing quite a few. Uh, surprise creatures like uh, stalking hounds, master of myths, black dog, lots of lots of uh, triggered effect come into play creatures. In right, here. right. But a lot of decks are playing those right now. Yeah, they're pretty popular these days. You know, there's some ways to shut them down. He had mentioned that. Uh, yeah, flux. What the hell is it called? Yeah. Flux stabilizer. Uh, flux stabilizer is a potential issue, but that's kind of what some of the support destruction is in there for. You know, you might delay him for a turn, but then the Chthonians are probably going to destroy it, and then you, you know you can still bring about the following turn. It, the idea is basically to get some big creatures out pretty quickly uh, by using some of these tricks to pump up your domains in a permanent fashion, you know, rather than just you know having a one-time discount or something like that. I really, uh, I 
I'm really interested in why he chose some of these cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, like he's got Glacky and Yagolanak. Well, those are those are auto includes in this kind of deck. Yeah, they're pretty standard. They're really. Um, but uh, I like the Nodens, the one Nodens in there. One thing I've noticed about this particular game is there is a surprising lack of reset cards. There's not many cards that destroy everything; just resets the game. Yeah. So this can be one, especially if you're playing against a rush deck. Yeah, I think really if, if you're worried about people, you know, rushing out a lot of low cost characters, uh, which typically are also low skill characters. Nodens is a good way to, to blow them away. And I also like that he chose um, Nyarlathotep. Um, he had said in his write-up that he was it was between that and Negotium, Prambulance, and Tenebris mm-hmm. uh, for his restricted card. But I saw in the uh, in the final match that he used Nyarlathotep. He got that out on, on turn two mm-hmm. for the next few turns. Yeah, it's really annoying uh, to have your plans messed up like that. And the more factions you're running, the more annoying he is. See, there are any other cards that are in here that are that you? Um... Well, I was gonna say one thing that's that's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, the mother's hand. It's not a card that I've I've seen people using a lot of, but it makes a great deal of sense here. Since you're pumping one of your domains up really big, really fast, uh, it's effectively a card you can play for free. The mother's hand uh, is a card that costs three. If you overpay for it then you get to to refresh one of your domains immediately. So basically, you can double-use your big domain that turn. Right, since you're going to have a four-cost domain on turn two, mm-hmm. that it's a no-brainer, because you could bring it out right then. Yeah, yeah. I, I know he used that uh, when I played against him at Gen Con. I was able to drop two Mother's Hands and another Big Beast in the same turn, <laughs> in the same domain. He's got a lot of good creatures that answer support cards. He's got Mini Angled Thing. He's got Faceless Abductor. He's got ways to handle problem characters. He's got Glacky in there for problem uh, problematic icons, mm-hmm. he says. Basil Elton also does kind of the same thing, in that uh, he allows you to reuse your big domain. So if, you, if you've got a lot of large uh, characters in your hand, there's several ways that he can try to get them out into play fast. So I'm interested in playing this deck. Um, I actually haven't played a deck like this before. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, like I said, I haven't played this one actually, but I have played the other one, the uh, Things in the Ground deck, and that one, I played against that one. I wonder who I was playing. It was playing. a pretty fun deck. Yeah, it was fun for yeah. you. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I, mean, I wish I'd have had a Flux Stabilizer that mm-hmm. day, I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, those talking hounds just keep kept coming back and coming they back. Just, they just keep coming. So, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we'll we'll talk about that deck a little bit. This was the number four deck. Uh, it's called Turbo Things in the Ground, and it's it's kind of a a mix between you know getting big characters out there and uh, also being able to run it as a discard deck as well. So. Two different ways to try and win with it. Hmm. Well, so the basic concept with things in the ground is that it's a support card. You exhaust it, and both character, uh, both players, get to flip over two cards from their deck. If either of those cards are characters, the characters get put into play insane. Now they're insane regardless of whether they have terror icons or willpower. You know, it's those things. 
those abilities wouldn't kick in until they were already in play. So you see, you know, crazy Cthulhu's, you know, stuff like that. But uh, what tends to happen is the board gets flooded with all these crazy characters, one of them getting restored per turn, you know, and so forth. And you can either win by having, you know, bigger characters and means to, uh, to restore them faster than your opponent. And the deck does some of that with cards like Dr. Carson and Arkham Asylum. Or you can win by uh, doing some big milling here. He's got Curse of the Stone, which causes someone to discard a card for every character they have. Oh, yeah, so there's a wink addition mm-hmm. there. So if, if you get into a situation where the characters have just piled up and piled up, a couple of big mills, you know, for 10-plus cards apiece uh, can take some of these deck down fast. Not to mention the cards you've already milled by having them flip over two extra cards each turn. So... Uh, we found in some of our games trying it out here that most of the games were were not one on milling. Usually, you wanted on the characters before that happened, but uh, it just depends what you're up against. So I noticed that they have uh, quite a few ways to, to deal with insane characters in this deck. Yeah, uh, since you you know in advance that both sides are going to have a lot of crazy characters, you can take advantage of this and plan for it. Uh, so this deck has got three copies of Dr. Carson and two copies of Arkham Asylum. Both of these allow you to uh, to restore and ready an insane character, uh, either by exhausting Dr. Carson or paying one with Arkham Asylum. And I noticed there's also the ubiquitous Snowgraves in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Snowgraves uh, is a, a common thing to see in these. If you, If you're doing a milling deck... You don't want your opponent to be getting cards back out of the discard. It's, That's you know, true. That, that would kind of go counter to what you're trying to do to him. Plus, it'll stop the the forgotten Shoggoth. Yeah, the the forgotten Shoggoth is there to keep you from milling yourself. <laughs> you know, but either one of these, you know, can interfere with what you want to do. Sometimes it just kind of depends. Uh, he's got some searching in here to try and look for things in the ground. So cards like Museum Curator and Journey to the Other Side are mainly there for, you know, what if I didn't draw things in the ground? And then, oh my god, I mulligan and I still didn't draw things in the ground. Yeah. I gotta find that. Yeah, thing. it helps you dig for it. You got the Marcus Jamberg in here with the with the, with the the Ice mm-hmm. Shaft. That's a popular neutral combo these days. Uh, bring, you, you get the Ice Shaft in there. Now this could be shut down. If you have forgotten Shoggoth at play, because then your ice shafts don't go to the right place. It's a replacement yeah. effect. So, anyway, you, you break these out and you can repeatedly destroy uh, enemy characters of skill 3 or lower, which is a good chunk of characters that might be causing trouble. So, it's like a repeatable uh, 3 cost event, more or less. As part of our ongoing series for new players, we're going to discuss today, how many factions should I put in a deck? Well, so most of the time, you're going to be kind of looking at uh, one to three factions is kind of typical. Two factions is probably most popular. Uh, if you have a small collection, you know, it may be difficult to play mono faction. But the important thing is to understand what trade-offs you're making. The more factions you play the more card pool you have to draw from. You've got more choices of what you can put in there. Uh, 
But the flip side of that is that resourcing becomes more of a problem. When you want to play a card, the domain you use has to have at least one matching resource. And the more colors that are in your deck, the more often you might run into a problem where uh, you don't have the right colors on the right domains to play the cards you want. Now, to complicate things a little bit more, you've also got cards with Loyal or Steadfast. A Loyal card has to have all of its resources match. So if you've got a Loyal card of cost 2, there have to be at least two of that faction's uh, resources on the domain you use to pay for it. Steadfast is a little less picky. You just have to have a certain number of, uh, of resources, but they can be on any domains you want. It doesn't matter which, it doesn't matter if they're already drained, they just have to be somewhere. So when you have less factions, you've got uh, less card pool, but you, know, you, have more, uh, you have easier resourcing, and you have more freedom to use the loyal and steadfast cards, which could get you into extra trouble. So you just have to kind of balance these and figure out what fits into the deck concept that you want to do. Okay. My preference is to do monofaction. Um, but then again, I have, I have a larger card pool. Mm -hmm. Monofaction decks are also great if you like to play themed decks. And you might get more benefit out of cards that give bonuses to, uh, to certain themed cards. You know, all deep ones get this or all criminals get that. You know, that kind of thing. Right, and um, are there any traits that cross factions? I guess uh, Th there are some sorcerers. Yeah, sorcerers cross factions. Cultists, Cultists is a big one, sure. Uh, there's there's quite a few that cross factions to some extent. Not as many that cross over between mythos factions and human factions, but uh, there I think there's a, a few odd scientists, you know, in Yogg and uh, some in Miskatonic. You know, there's definitely investigators in. Uh, several factions. Uh, there's also neutral cards to consider. You know, they're, for the purposes of this, you know, neutral cards are more or less like a faction in terms of uh, resourcing issues and things like that. But there's also cards in the game that are pretty much colorless. Uh, something like Master of the Myths or Black Dog. You put them into play for just one generic resource and it doesn't matter what color it is. This would also include any zero-cost cards that don't have a steadfast icon, something like Snowgraves. So you can put these into any deck and not worry too much about resourcing issues. Uh, if you use those cards as a resource, that can still be a problem. But playing them uh, doesn't have any issue. So it seems like cards like that, there's a premium placed on those because they can kind of go anywhere. Yeah, a, a little bit. You know, and you gotta, I think you need to be careful to, when you design those cards if every faction could use it, you don't want to make it too good. But uh, anyway, a lot of them have a drawback as well, you know, one type or another. And if they get too strong, then you know, they may get hit with a restricted or something like that down the line. For the most part, uh, one and two faction decks are the most common. Two factions probably you know, more the default than anything else. Three faction and more seems to be more popular uh, among European players. I don't know exactly why. And uh, there was a, a recent Highlander tournament. Highlander is where you can only have one copy of any card. And we saw a high degree of three and four faction decks uh, in that as well. That would be hard to build. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's, it was definitely interesting, but there's a whole tournament report on the FFG forums, and uh, some pretty interesting decks in there. Now we're going to do our faction spotlight. Um, every episode, we're going to cover one faction until we do them all. And this will be more tailored for the new player. And uh, we're going to be covering cards in that faction from the core set plus Secrets of Arkham. So this week, it's Cthulhu. So anyway, uh, he's big, he's green, and you don't want to make him angry. But it's not the Hulk. In the core set, you get a... You get a decent assortment of Cthulhu cards, and we like to kind of hit some of the the really unusually good ones, and some of the ones that you may not play that much, you know, as your collection grows. Uh, but there's some really, really primo stuff in here that you're going to keep no matter how many cards you have. And to kick that off, let's talk about Deep One Assault. This is a, a fantastic event that you could use to destroy a character or support card with cost X or lower. X is what you paid for it. And that's just extremely flexible. Anything that's giving you a problem, you can get it out of the way with Deep One Assault. Now, it is loyal, so you have to have all Cthulhu resources for that. Right. And But the bonus here is it can target an Ancient One. Yeah, there's no restriction. Any character or support is potentially vulnerable to this. Now, being from the core set, if you only have one core set, you'll only have one copy of this card. Mm-hmm, that's true. Um, but you can always, you know, get another core set down the line if you want more. Or, you know, you may be able to use other cards that have similar functionality, but they're probably not going to be as flexible as Deep One Assault that it can take out any permanent card and operate at whatever cost level you want to do it. So, um, since we started off with events, let's continue there. Okay, okay. Well, somewhat similar is Get It Off. This is a one-cost event. Choose to destroy an attachment card. Okay, so there's some uh, support removal just for mm-hmm. attachments. Yeah, only for attachments, but that does cover you know some of the important stuff. Anyone uh, who's carrying a Kopesh or certain tomes, you know, things like that. You can take it Bound out. and gag. And it's, it only costs one, and it can take out, you know, potentially more expensive attachments. Uh, another interesting event here for a cost of zero is Pulled Under. Exhaust a character with at least two terror icons to choose and destroy an exhausted non-Ancient One character. So this is uh, some targeted character removal. They have to be exhausted first, but a lot of times you would wait and play this after a character commits to a story, which means they would be exhausted. You destroy that character. Now, yeah. Um, I was going to say, um, if uh, in this set though, in these two sets, there are not that many. They're well cheap yeah, guys with two. Together. That's true, but uh, there there are a couple, and there's a couple ways to grant it to them. That so, is true. So uh, we'll, we'll hit that in just a second here. But uh, okay. anyway, and hopefully, if you take out their character, that may lead you to winning additional story struggles that they didn't plan for, and maybe you can uh, you can take out another character with that. But that's true. You do have to get the two terror icons first. 
Uh, Keeper of the Golden Path is what option you've got for that. He's a cost two character that comes native with two terror icons. Right. I think he's the only one. He's, yeah, he's the only Could... one uh, that has it built in. But you could grant it to any one of your characters if you play Touched by the Sleeper, which is another zero-cost card. So that'll, that could come out of nowhere. Or you could give the Sword of Yahatalo to a character that already has one terror icon. It'll give them a second one. Uh, you may also be able to use Shadowed Reef to grant a terror icon to a deep one character. Right, because uh, deep ones usually have two two combat and an arcane. Yeah, so if you had Shadow Reef in play and give them the Sword of Yahatalo, then any deep one could then have two terrors. Okay, so in this particular card pool, in order to make that pay off, there's a little work you have to do. Yeah, potentially, yeah. But uh, at this level, with you know, with such a small amount of cards, there's a good chance Keeper of the Golden Path will be in there. So, and also, it does say just exhaust a character. So you could use this in a dual faction deck and pick characters from, you know, Haster or Shove or Yogg that have terror. So let's see. Um, which characters of the of the ones that are in, the, in these two sets, um, which ones are special? Well, I, I think probably the number one guy here that uh, people have trouble with is Ravager from the Deep. He's a, a real pain to deal with in the core set. He's cost four, so you don't see him come out that early in the game. But a lot of times, once he hits the field, people you know feel like I don't know what to do with him. You know, right? So, and it's mostly down to his special ability. He's got you know he's got decent icons and everything, but. After Ravager from the Deep is committed to a story, wound all other characters at that story. So basically, you're going to be using this guy in defense. Yes, and you're going to be using him alone as well. Because when you right. commit, all the characters commit together. If you committed the Ravager and somebody else, he'd be wounding your own guys. Seldom useful. <laughs> yeah, unless you have a invulnerable. Yeah, if you had invulnerable or... You know, there there may be a few odd situations. A guy with a lot of toughness that you just don't mind an occasional wound. You know, but uh, anyway, he, he's a real pain. Uh, but you know, he's not all powerful. It, it's just that uh, you've got to look around for things to deal with him. One key is that he's very low skill. He's a skill two, and there are a lot of cards in the game that allow you to target a character with low skill and do something unpleasant to them. So there's definitely answers for this yeah, guy. Yeah, he, he's going to have a big target on him for any kind of effect you can scrounge up. You know. But if you're just playing Corset, you know, Corset or Corset Secrets, mm -hmm. that's definitely put that in your Cthulhu deck. Right, right. I mean, he's, for sure. Not not that you have much choice, but... Yeah. So, but he, he's one of the big cards out of the core set, you know, that people are thinking, hey, how do I deal with this guy? So, uh, definitely if you have the opportunity, it might be worth blowing a deep one assault to kill him, or doing the pull under trick, or, or whatever other way you have. But, uh, anyway, so kind of enough about him for now. Uh, okay. Let's see. Well, um, I think that the, the big one here, besides him, is, uh, is from Secrets, so you'll have two copies. 
and that's Deep One Rising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Deep One Rising is a really solid card that you'll you'll use him, you know, in a lot of different decks because uh, you get to put a character into play and take out an enemy character at the same time. So it's a four cost, three icon, four skill, deep one. So you've got that built-in synergy there. And it has a come-into-play effect that it, you have to choose and destroy a non-deep one, non-ancient one character, if able. But uh, he, he's a pretty cool character. So is Carl Stanford, also from Secrets of Arkham. So his, not a large number of icons, but you've got invulnerability on a cost three character. So that makes him a great story blocker. You know, it's, it's difficult to remove him at that point. He's also got a terror icon, so you can't drive him crazy and you can't wound him. You gotta look for something else to deal with this guy. And you can sacrifice a cultist to give him extra icons. That's right. So if you happen to have some uh, inexpensive cultists, you can you you know you can burn them to fuel Carl Stanford. And let's see how many inexpensives of cultists do we have? We have not, Keeper of the Golden Path many, for two. Yeah, a few of them in there. We got Lord of the Silver Twilight. And of course, whatever faction you pair up with, they have. So, speaking of Lord of the Silver Twilight, uh, you still see him in decks, you know, even though you know, you've got a large card pool. He, he's a decent, cheap guy, but uh, he lowers the cost to play Cthulhu by one. So anytime you're planning a deck and you want to summon Cthulhu as part of your strategy, he's not a bad guy to look at including in there. There's other alternatives. So which Cthulhu do you like? Do you like the one from the core or do you like the one from the, the Yuggoth contract? Uh, I prefer the, the Yuggoth contract version. They're fairly similar, but the core one causes both players to sacrifice every turn. You know, just all the time. It doesn't cost anything. It just happens. The new version, you have to pay to make it happen, but it just affects your opponent. So you don't have to lose your own characters for that. But ostensibly, if you had Cthulhu out, you'd be able to win some stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, he tends to be able to win stories on his own in either version just from having invulnerability, eight skill, which is pretty huge, and pretty strong (laughs) icons as well. Yeah, even if he's not eating anybody, you're still doing pretty good with him there. Well, you've definitely got, um, just as far as characters go, well, and supports, you've got uh, a pretty good, if you've got the core and Secrets of Arkham, you could build a Deep One deck right there. Mm-hmm. You you could also build a Cthulhu deck or or an Ancient One deck, but the key that to the Cthulhu or Ancient One deck is you have to kind of play on the defensive in the first like four or five turns of the game mm-hmm. you really you really want to put your guys your terror guys out there and stop the other guy from from getting those success tokens yeah yeah there's several cards to support uh, a deep one strategy in the you know in these two sets uh lord of the would be a key card there he allows you to pay one to choose and ready any deep one character so you know that that's gonna make sure that you've always got a large number of deep ones ready to go if you can afford it, and if you get that far, you can bring in Hydra for five. She's an ancient one that allows you to bring back deep ones from your discard pile that returns into play. And it only costs two to right, do that, regardless of what they cost originally. So hello, Deep One Rising again. Well, no, that that actually doesn't quite work. So hold on, let me bring. It doesn't work. 
Is that the put into play versus play? That's the difference between play and put into play, or enters play. Anyway, the Deep One Rising says after you play Deep One Rising, choose and destroy a non-Deep One non-Ancient One character. When a card says play, they're referring to play a card from your hand in the usual fashion where you, you drain a domain and that kind of thing. Uh, and if you're using Hydra to bring it back from the discard pile, you're not doing that. If a card says um, after Deep One Rising enters play, enters play is a wider term that means that they got into play through any means imaginable. Any means. It doesn't matter how okay. they got there. Otherwise, that would be a fantastic combination. It would. And then I have uh, been guilty of not reading the card well enough once again. Well, you got to have it up in front of you. You know, if you're going from memory, sometimes you make mistakes. Yeah, I don't have an excuse. I was looking right at it. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> This episode, I would like to talk about Miskatonic Rush. Now, first question is, what is a Rush deck? And a Rush deck is a deck with cheap characters that come out fast and win the stories before their opponent has a chance to stabilize. The human factions, and Miskatonic in particular, are known to be pretty good at a Rush strategy. Uh, they, while they don't have the big beefy monsters, they do tend to have a lot of, of good cheap characters with the right kind of icons to accelerate Rush. And, and we're going to talk about Miskatonic, because Miskatonic has a, a lot of investigation, and investigation wins stories. So a Miskatonic Rush deck needs, uh, the first thing it needs is cheap, efficient characters. Okay? Uh, Zero-cost characters, one-cost characters, two-cost characters. The You won't have very many three-cost characters in there. You're going to have a lot of a lot of weenies, basically. But the thing that you're going to want is you're going to want these... You want to make every one of your characters count. Um, you would want to choose characters that have... that pass the vanilla test. You know, if it costs two, then it should probably have two icons. It should probably have two skill. You know, you want to make sure that you're getting, you know, your money's worth, as it were. So... Mm-hmm. So, also, another thing is uh, characters that double as effects, uh, characters with come-into-play abilities, are also better for, for this type of deck. Because you've got a lot... I've got 30 characters in this deck, and so you don't have a lot of room for other stuff. Um, so, when, if you can make your characters also have effects, then that's, then that's good, too. Also, uh, characters that replace themselves by causing card draw, I like those because they... They give you card parity, if not card advantage. Well, having more cards also increases the chance that you'll be able to play two to three characters on a turn, you know, if you need to. Exactly. Okay, now there are, th- there are three things you need um, in order to make this, this work. Um, how are you going to win stories? I mean, normally it takes, a sto- takes you at least two turns to win a story if you have investigation characters, Okay. You've got to have two turns to do it. Mm-hmm. In in this deck, you should be able to win them in one turn if you have the right cards. All right, now the way that you're going to be able to do that and you're going to be able to push through struggles 
is you're going to have terror and combat mitigation in the deck. You're going to have cards that mitigate the negative effects of losing terror and combat. Um, and we'll cover that when we go through the card-by-card. Card. Uh, also, you're going to need story acceleration. Okay, And that means additional icon boosters for investigation, characters that have that built in, cards that have that built in, and uh, also struggle manipulation. You want to be able to either blank icons um, or cause certain struggles not to happen or to happen in a different order. And all of that is going to be included here. Okay. Okay, what do you think of that? Sounds good. Okay. Okay. All right, so uh, first thing, every deck needs a cost curve. And this is the curve I chose for this. Um, there are 12 zero and one drops in this deck. There's uh, 10 two drops and eight three drops. So that should, that's 30, 30 characters. So you should not have a hand, an opening hand that doesn't have at least five characters in it. And you're gonna have mm-hmm. a lot of characters in your in your opening hand. And if you don't, you should probably mulligan till you do. Or at least the one time you can mulligan. So for characters, there are, I, I stuck to, um, I didn't stick to any specific uh, set restrictions. So this deck is all the, all the cards that are out for the LCG now. So, so uh, hapless graduate student and college prospect are my two zero drops. Um, hapless graduate student costs zero, but it is cheap, cheap investigation. And at zero, you get an investigation icon right there. Um, plus, mm-hmm. you can. Uh, you can you can drive him insane. He's going to drive insane, go insane anyway when you draw a card, um, which you can choose not to do, but you don't want to do that. So he's going to go crazy. So you you're you're going to want to throw him in front of that bus. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah. uh, college prospect is all he has is he costs zero. He has one skill, and he lets you draw two cards when he's killed. So there's another. There's another chump blocker for you right there for your combat step. You throw them right in there. Now, if you get one or two of these in your first opening hand, then you can you can probably drop your whole hand on the first turn. Right. Well, also, if your opponent's running one of the Mythos factions and he's got guys with terror out there, hapless graduate student could be chosen to go insane, and that gets rid of his drawback. Well, yeah, but when he comes so. back, too, he'll still have the same drawback. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, but you know, it's you, you can still use them to satisfy another insanity. Exa- so. Yes, exactly. I have three ofs and both of those. Um, I typically, if it's not a uh, if it's not a unique character, I'll have three ofs, and if it is, I'll usually stick to two ofs unless I need to draw that character. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the one drops I've got Doctor Carson. Okay. Um, believe that spawn of the sleeper the set that guy's in it costs one he's got an investigation icon and he restores and readies character so he's right there that's terror mitigation right there and then uh david i think you like this card alternative historian from seekers of knowledge yeah that's a really flexible card. yeah i like it uh it it replaces itself when you play it you draw a card and you can pitch a card to manipulate the struggles yeah, that, that fits in well with some of the other cards in your deck that allow you to draw extra cards. Now you've got something useful to burn them on. And since this is a rush deck, you know, you're, you're not planning for the long run. You're not worried about eventually falling behind your opponent. 
you, you pretty much want this deck to go out in a, in a flash of glory. You know, use all your resources, get the stories done in a couple turns, and out of there. To round out the one drops, I put research assistance in there. That's from the last cycle that was out. And uh, mm-hmm. research assistant is just a strictly better lab assistant. I mean, you get a one drop, uh, one skill, one investigation icon character. But this one has a response. And if people are playing with tomes, you get to ready her to draw a card. And yep. there's a few cards in this deck that allow you to ready them for for something. But if you are starting out and you don't have a large collection, you can put in Laboratory Assistant instead of her, and it's not that big no. of a deal. Lab Assistant totally takes her takes her place in that case. But that was, that's why I chose her over Lab Assistant, yeah. because she had mm-hmm. an additional ability. To the two drops, now I have ten of these. Okay, I have uh, Archaeology Interns. There's... Another, uh, that's a extra card draw. Yep, cost two, investigation icon, and uh, one one skill. You get to draw two cards when you play them, and then you put one card on top of your deck. So it allows you to do a little bit of deck filtering. Now, professor of folklore, this guy has a lot of bang for your buck. He is really he's really good. Uh, for only two, you get arcane investigation. He's an investigator. There are other cards that key off of that. And he has three skill. Plus, you can pay one to cancel a wound to a Miskatonic character. And if you overpay for it, you can ready that character. So there's some more uh, combat mitigation right there. So let's say you lose a combat struggle, this guy's going to help you out. He'll be able to keep your key characters alive. Uh, but just take care it only deals with wounding effects not destruction or sacrifice. Right, just just wounds. Um, and and the thing is he doesn't he doesn't exhaust for this. So he can be in another story and do this. Yeah, or do it any number of times as long as you still have a domain open. After that, I've got obsessive insomniac. I really like this card. Um, this guy is a card drawing machine. Uh, he costs 2. He's got 2 skill. He only has one arcane icon, but that's not why he's not in the deck for his for his icons. He's in the deck for Exhaust to draw a card. Yeah, he's pretty much a living support card. Yeah, and then if you start building up, if you start building up a domain with a lot of extra resources that you don't need, and in this deck you won't need them, uh, you can discard a resource from a domain to ready him. So you Mm -hmm. could, as as long as you've got resources to that that you don't need, you can get that many cards. Right. So this plays in well with the idea from before that you know you're. You're, you want to burn your deck out as fast as you can. I have one focused art student in there to round out the, the uh, two drops, and that is uh, Interplay Draw a Card. Two icons. Mm-hmm. It's two icons, two cost, two skill, efficient. Plus, you got you, it, it replaces itself. So, so then um, I've got Witten Green as as part of my, uh, as half of my three drops here. I only have two three drops, but I have you know them times three, obviously. So, uh, Witten Green, we talked about this girl before. You know, three costs, three icons, two of which are investigation, three skill. She's got toughness. She's a faculty investigator, relic hunter. And if you succeed at a story, you can search for a tome card, but and add it to your hand. But, you know, the main thing is she's got an a, a investigation icon booster on her. 
So yeah. she goes to the to a story, then you're going to get two investigation. Right. Plus, her toughness provides a little more combat mitigation. That's right. And assign a wound to her, and you know, at least once, it's okay. And then uh, my my favorite medical examiner, Doctor Maya Badri, she's in here, mm-hmm. uh, and she and she's in here as a three drop, but really. She's a zero drop because I almost never pay for her. I just leave her in my hand. And then if I leave a story that looks like, you know, he goes, ah, that guy's, I don't know why he put that guy there. I can totally kill him with my, with my guy. And then Dr. Maya jumps in when the guy dies. Yep. Yep. So then she'll come in here. She's got two investigation, which will probably trump whatever's on the other side. And that's right after, you know, uh, That'll be right after the combat struggle. When a character committed to a story is destroyed, put her into play. It's, it's too late for her to get killed, too late for her to go insane. Right, and she's going to just sail through the last two struggles. And plus, she's got two skill to add to that. Okay, so those are the characters. I have an additional uh, list um, that if you just were going to use cards from the core set, Seekers of Knowledge and uh, Secrets of Arkham, I've got a list there I'll post. And in that one, that's just a few, just a few changes. Basically, more cards from Seekers are in there to replace the cards that are in, in there from the other cycles. That's how yeah, I, okay. that's how I did that. Okay, um, so we'll have both of those versions up for right, people. Right, I'll put I'll put both there. of them up. But for the sake of of uh, discussion, we're gonna um, just uh, use this one for now. Okay, so support cards. I only put eight support cards in here. I don't like to rely on attachments and there's a and then and there is a lot of support removal and attachment removal so i i decided i'm just going to go with a few of these uh very handy supports one of which is from the last cycle it's uh called infirmary and it's a support it's a location the disrupt says when a miskatonic character you control will be destroyed return it to your hand instead of destroying it this is really good in this deck yeah you get to keep up your character pressure or if for some reason you've got more characters than you can play you can always burn them for obsessive insomniac that's right next um i have two i just said i don't like attachments but i do like story card attachments yeah, that's a little bit different it's, yes it's hard to kill a story the two story card attachment i got here is open for inspection Obviously, this is more story acceleration. It adds two additional investigation struggles in addition to an arcane struggle to the story, making it much easier for you to to win that story. Mm-hmm. In that, and then protected by the Elder Sign, which costs one. It's from it's from Seekers of Knowledge. It attaches to a story card, and in characters committed to that story, lose all terror icons. So if you're playing against that Cthulhu deck or that Shub deck or against a deck that's all, you know, it's crawling with tentacles, you can throw this up there on the story and then you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've got, so Infirmary is protecting you from combat, you know, among other tools you've got to protect from that. Uh, Elder Sign here is protecting you from insanity and anything that falls through the cracks, Dr. Carson picks up. So you, you really you know, get through those two struggles very well that uh, traditionally used to be a problem for Miskatonic. And I carried some of that through to the events that I chose. 
Okay, I've got four cards. Okay, almost all of them either accelerate or manipulate struggles. Okay, expert testimony is an additional. Basically, um, when an icon struggle would resolve, choose a Miskatonic character until the end of the phase. That character gains an icon booster for investigation. And, and I like that. It, it's got a little bit of a surprise effect. Um, you know, I mean, if, if your opponent knows what you're playing, that they, they may be able to play around it or make sure that they have some way to negate this. But I don't know how they would unless they're playing power drains. Yeah, there's not, not too many. Well, that, I think, uh, what's what's the name of that? There's a Haster character. Yes, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Performance artist. Right. Okay, so the next one is yeah. Daring Buju, the uh, the one with the art you like so much. Um, it costs zero. It's a tactic event. Um, and it says, exhaust a Miskatonic character to choose a story, stru- stor- a story struggle icon at a... St- that is a weird sentence. A story struggle icon at a story. Okay, anyways, replace that story struggle icon with a story struggle icon of your choice until the end of the phase. So then I throw Daring Buju in there and say, okay, we're not going to do combat this time. Instead, that's going to be another investigation. So there's some more manip- mm-hmm. some struggle manipulation. I, I think they just wanted to emphasize that it only affects right. the single story that you've chosen. Right. It just and, and only one instance of the icon at that story. It's just that they said story struggle icon three times. Yeah. <laughs> It's a tongue twister. Yeah, it's a little wonky. Yeah. But, yeah, so there you go. More struggle manipulation and story acceleration in one card. It's a great card, and it costs zero. Um, of course, it's got three Miskatonic Steadfast, but you're, you're playing a mono, a mono uh, Misk deck anyway, so you're okay there. Yeah, that's not going to affect you. Okay, the next one okay. is a polar event uh, called Zero Visibility. Now, you play this during the story phase before any characters are committed. Cost two. Action. Choose a story and name an icon struggle. Only that icon struggle can resolve at that story this turn. So, mm-hmm. investigation. Probably picking investigation. I think so. Yeah. And that that's that's just an all-around good card. Um, and then finally, binding. Binding mm-hmm. is so versatile. You use it. It's like whatever you don't want your opponent to have on that character, it's not going to have anything. It just it's great. It just blanks all the icons. You're done. One cost one. Yeah, the, the only thing to keep in mind is it's just printed icons. So if they have icons that are granted by something, those won't be taken away. Granted. But um, I really like it. I like it because it's it's a little it's versatile. Uh, I, yeah, I like to have yeah. I like to have uh, some. The only problem with this deck that I see. Um, from my perspective, is that I'm not going to know what to resource. <laughs> I'm going to have a hard well, time resourcing. You know, that's usually a good problem to have. Yeah. You know, that's, that's when the tough decisions come in. But if resourcing decisions are easy, it probably means you've got some cards there that don't fit very well. That's true. You don't want to put crappy cards in just so and make that choice easier. Speaking of resourcing, I would probably recommend in this deck that uh, on, on the first turn, you know, you're going to make a, you're going to make a two domain. And then on the next turn, you're probably going to make want to make an additional two domain, unless you've got a Witten, or um, if you if if you've got Witten Green in your hand, then you might build a three domain and go ahead and put her out. But if you don't, just go ahead and build two twos, and then build a three. 
the, yeah, even if you've got wit, it, it's not going to be a hard call though. No, it won't. Yeah, no, it won't. Yeah. It won't be a hard call. Just, uh, just sort of at that point, um, after you have three two domains and one three and one, I mean two two domains and one three domain, you don't need to resource anymore. Just keep right. that extra card unless you want to use it for for the obsessive insomniac. But at that point. You might not have well, to. Well, with, with the strategy of this deck, you're hoping the game's over yeah, by then anyway. Exactly. If you get to turn four or five, and that and your opponent is starting to put out their big creatures, and you haven't got a story one yet, this is time to scoop up your cards and start over. I mean, that's the, that's the, this deck is going to win yeah, you. That, that's the problem with rush, rush decks. decks in if, if the rush fails to complete before your opponent you know, kind of gets their defenses set up, then it's probably going to go downhill from there. So if you have any questions about uh, about this and you have any suggestions for deck archetypes or anything in the future, definitely let us know, and we look forward to your feedback. Otherwise, we'll just keep doing whatever topics strike our fancy. We have some thanks and shout-outs. Um, check out the other LCG podcasts. Cardboard of the Rings, Two Champs and One Chump, Agenda 7, and The Icebox. Hey, and also thanks to CardGameDB.com for hosting us. You can follow us on ElderThingsCast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Or you can reach us by email at ElderThingsPodcast at gmail.com. So join us next time when we will cover the Centicle three-player rules, a gameplay overview for beginners, and a discussion of restricted and banned cards. I'm Lee. And I'm David. And thank you for listening to the Elder Things Podcast. Now you know what it sounds like when a robot blows his nose.